This is the Emmanuel Message Podcast. For more information on Emmanuel, check us out online at kenosha.church. In week five of Empires Volume One, we will be learning about God's judgment and how it is very different than the way that human beings judge. Enjoy the message. Good morning, Emmanuel Kenosha Church, and welcome back to Church Online. We're so glad you can join us today. And just as Tom said, our kids are coming back. Emmanuel Kids is coming back to in-person services starting August the 2nd. So if you're ready, the doors will be open. If you're not ready, Emmanuel Kids will continue to stream online as well. Now, in order for us to be able to go live with Emmanuel Kids and in person, that means we need extra people to step on a team. So if you're planning on coming to church in the next few weeks, or you're already going to church, but you're online with us this Sunday, uh, sign up at kenosha.church slash teams. And there you can sign up for our host team. Our host team are the people that welcome you. Make sure this is a welcoming environment. Uh, many of our kids team members have been on this team, but now they're going to be going to manual kids. But what's important for this team that we have new people step into this team uh, is that it's not only for the welcoming atmosphere, but also we wipe down hard surfaces. We make sure that we seat people at social distance. It's making sure that our live experience is safe. So if you're not on a team, jump on one right now, kenosha.church slash teams. We are in our fifth week of Empires Volume 1. It is a study in the book of Romans. Uh, the book of Romans is said to be perhaps one of the most important books in the Bible. Now, you might be thinking, wait, aren't all the books or every verse in, in the Bible important? Well, yes, it's not that other books are unimportant. Uh, but Paul, in fact, tells his young apprentice Timothy uh, that all Scripture is inspired. It's breathed out by the Spirit of God and is profitable for our life to be in right relationship with God to know his will. Uh, but there are areas of scripture, though, that are sometimes a little bit more theologically dense. It, 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 it really sets the foundation and gives us an understanding, maybe perhaps for the rest of scripture. That's precisely what the book of Romans is all about. In fact, many people have come to Christ by reading the book of Romans, say Augustine, uh, the leader of the Reformation, Martin Luther, uh, John Wesley, who was the major force behind the Great Awakening in the UK and America before America's founding. All three of these individuals, after reading the book of Romans, uh, gave their life to Christ, that place their faith and trust in Christ. And so uh, many times when I share the gospel, they are from verses from the book of Romans. So Romans is dense. It is our honor and joy uh, to be able to study this book and really deepen our understanding of the depths of God's love and heights of God's love for us. Now, uh, switching topics here just, just for a moment here. In a few weeks' time, something awesome is going to be happening here in America. It is America's greatest pastime. Baseball is returning. And I'm excited for that. I know Pastor Will's a little bit more excited. He talks about baseball all the time. Uh, but I, I love baseball. And as a kid, I had a dream of becoming a major league baseball player, an all-star for the Baltimore Orioles. And in preparation for my major league career, I collected all the baseball cards in the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, I would play catch nightly with uh, my dad or people in the, in the neighborhood and I would try my hand at pitching. Now, unfortunately, sometimes I would throw the ball and hit the side of the house, almost missing windows. I think I even hit my sister and brother's head square on the forehead. I, so I, I thought, well, maybe I can, you know, just uh, not be a pitcher. I could just hit home runs. That was my dream. And so I played peewee t-ball. I played park and rec baseball, and I played little league baseball. And there was one particular year that 
a number of people decided to sign up for Little League Baseball. And so as I was going to go from the minor leagues in Little League Baseball to the major leagues, they said, hey, this year, everybody's going to have to try out. I'm like, okay, I'll try out. Well, I had a pretty bad tryout. I missed all my ground, catching the ball and, and trying to scoop the ball up when, when they'd hit grounders towards you. I just, I, I, I struck out. I had a really, really bad uh, tryout. But you know, the thing is, is that it was the understanding that even if you had a bad tryout, these tryouts were just so that the all-stars and the people that had bad tryouts, they can mix up the teams and there wouldn't be one dominant team. So it was really no big deal. So I thought, well, I ended up getting a call from my coach that year, my coach of my, as I'm going to the minor league to the major leagues, I I was getting a, a call from my major league coach. And he said, Andy, you've been selected to be on the Twins this year. Now, in this particular league, the Twins was a minor league team. So I was a little confused. And so I said, hey, coach, uh, that's that's interesting. The Twins must be a new team in the, in the major leagues this year. And he, the coach hesitated, kind of cleared his throat. And he goes, <clears throat> the Twins isn't a major league team. It's a minor league team. I said, well, you, you must be mistaken because I was in the minor leagues last year. And then he voice kind of cracking. He said, well, um, Andy, there were a hundred kids that went out for baseball this year and we had to cut four of them. And you were one of them that was cut. Talk about get cut to the heart. I was devastated. So devastated that I, I actually retired from baseball that year, okay? But I was so devastated. My, my, when I went home, my, my dad was just like, oh, what's the matter? And I told him everything. And he said, Andy, get in the car. And I thought, okay, am I in trouble for not making the team? My dad drove me to the mall, drove me to the sports shop. And he said, Andy, I want you to pick out from head to toe a Baltimore Orioles uniform. Now, this isn't exactly the same uniform, but uh, it was, this uniform is official. And so uh, he said, I want you to get a jersey. I want you to get a hat. I mean, he, he let me get the, the stirrups, if you know what those are. He let me get the cleats. Uh, he even let me get the hard helmet. I got everything Baltimore Orioles. Why? Because he felt bad. I was bad at baseball, right? But no, he had a bigger plan with this whole uniform. He began to take me to stadiums across Midwest whenever the Orioles would come into town and we would go watch the Baltimore Orioles that summer. And it was awesome. Every time I went, because I was decked out head to toe, people thought I was either from Baltimore or related to someone from the team. But the memory that stands out the most uh, was when I was in the Metrodome in Minneapolis seeing the Twins take on the Orioles. The Orioles got trounced that day. That's not what I want to remember. What I want to remember is this. As I was kind of waiting after the ball game, the, the tenants at the, uh, uh, the ushers at the Metrodome, they thought I was a ball boy. They thought I was a bat boy. Uh, the ones that are out on the field, uh, they're usually little kids that retrieve balls or retrieve bats and the players. And so they thought I was lost. And I said, hey, uh, you need to follow me. And I was like, okay. And so they, I followed these, these ushers and they took me down to the Orioles clubhouse as they're getting on to the bus. I got to meet the entire team. I got the entire team's autograph. This was like a dream but it was a dream come true. Why? Because I was wearing a jersey. My identity was they thought I was properly in the right place because I was a bat boy. I was a ball boy, right? But the thing is, is I just had the jersey on. I wasn't really a bat boy. I wasn't really somebody that should have been down there, but I wasn't going to tell them, right? Well, you know, they judged by the outside, but they didn't know who I really was. I wasn't going to tell them. <laughs> You know, that's how life is, isn't it? 
We often judge people by their outward performance or their, or their outward outworkings of what they say or what they do. We judge people by their, their worth uh, or we judge their intentions or motivations, you know, uh, of like uh, of what they're all about by their outside. But we can't see their inside. But that doesn't stop us, does it? Sometimes we try to judge people's motivations or we try to see beneath the surface, but we can't see beneath the surface to see why people are acting a certain way or why they're not acting a certain way. No matter how much we have uh, insight into a person, we can never fully know the heart of a person or who they really are. And today we're going to talk about the one who does know us inside and out. We're going to talk about the Lord who not only sees what the outworkings of our life or who we claim to be, but he sees who we really are. In fact, this is the main idea this morning, is that God judges what others cannot see. God judges what others can't see. Today, we're going to look at the judgment of God, and in His judgment, we're going to see three things. That God is just, that God is kind, and that Jesus is coming soon. So if you turn to your Bibles to Romans chapter 2, we're going to be begin in Romans chapter 2, verse 1. So if you turn to your Bibles or your YouVersion Bible app, and if you're new with us this morning, uh, by custom, we put it on the screen for you. But again, you can download that free Bible app, and that'll be something that you're going to want for the weeks to come as we go through the book of Romans. All right, we're going to be in Romans chapter 2, verse 1. And let's unpack this first point, that God is just. God judges what others can't see, but in that, God is just. Verse 1 Therefore, every one of you who judges is without excuse. For when you judge another, you condemn yourself, since you, the judge, do the same things. Now, whenever we see the word therefore, we need to ask the question, what's it there for? And Paul's referencing back to what we previously studied in Romans chapter 1. In the first chapter of Romans, Paul has made so clear that, that without the salvation from our sins, we stand as recipients in the wrath of God. Uh, when we announced that we were going to be doing the, the uh, study in the book of Romans, when we announced Empires Volume 1, some people were like, oh, I can't wait. I love the book of Romans. Uh, I just love it. But man, Romans is kind of brutal, right? In fact, at our life group last Tuesday, someone was like, hey, you know what? Can I just say something? Like Romans chapter 1 is, is depressing. And in some, in some degree, it, it is depressing. It's a full-on assault of, of our humanity, uh, of how depraved our hearts are and the propensity of sin that, that lies within our heart. But here's the deal. The reason why Paul is so brutal on our depravity is that when we understand the depth of our depravity, we can know the heights of God's love when he has come to save us. In chapter 1, Paul lists over 20 sins of which a life that is bent to be outside the will of God. He lists these 20 sins that are the outworking of a life that's far from God. And you know, I can imagine the religious person listening to Paul uh, in Romans chapter 1, they might be like, that's right. Man, these are bad sins. Man, those people that do it, they, they, they're deprived. They're depraved, excuse me. They're just such bad people. But Paul's like, mm -mm 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 -mm. I'm not just talking about them. I'm also talking about you. Verse one again. Therefore, every one of you who judges is without excuse. For when you judge another, you condemn yourself since you, the judge, do the same things. 
Now, we often give harsh words towards others when they're messing up or when they're living in a life they shouldn't be, but we often light on our own judgment. We give ourselves a pass. I mean, it's human nature to ignore the problems of our life only to see and magnify the problems in other people's lives. In fact, Jesus talked about this very clearly in Matthew 7, verse 3. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take that plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Jesus warns us not to be a hypocrite. Literally, don't be an actor. In fact, one of the reasons why I hear so many people say, I don't want to go to church is they say, ah, church is full of hypocrites. Well, you know what? I mean, to one degree, in a general sense, we are hypocrites. We say one thing and do another. It's part of our fallen nature. It's part of us not being perfect. And, and, and in some ways, we really need to affirm that we're not perfect, right? In fact, that's a core value in Emmanuel. We're not perfect people, but we're people being made new in Jesus. So we will fail. We will be hypocrites in a general sense, but this is not what Jesus is, is, is harping on here. What he's saying is, is those that are trying to look perfect and hide their imperfections. And, you know, put on the fake, put on the plastic, you know, you know kind of just fold your hands and look holy, that type of thing. Hypocrisy is the difference between who you say you are and who you really are. Let's say that again. The hypocrisy is the difference between who you say you are and who you really are. The public persona versus the private world. It's like the entry room, the living room of your life. And then there's that dirty garage. I know some of your garages are just a pit, right? But some of you try to represent your garage like it's the clean living room, right? Or, or it's like me, you know, the, the bat boy trying to represent myself as something that I really wasn't. In chapter two, Paul turns his attention to those who think they're moral, those who think they're religious enough to where they can condemn others, even though they do the same things themselves. So in avoiding being a hypocrite, we need to avoid hiding behind the label of just that I'm a Christian or that I'm a good person. We need to look at ourselves. Who are we really? You know, let's fast forward to verse nine. Paul says this in Romans two, verse nine. He says, there will be affliction, distress for every human being who does evil, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. Now, Paul often speaks of the Jew and Gentile dichotomy. The Jewish people, they viewed themselves as the people of God, God's chosen people. And the Gentiles, they were people that didn't know God. They were pagans and they couldn't know God. The Jewish people felt like they never needed salvation because they were God's people. And the Gentiles, they could never receive God because they weren't God's people. And to the contrary, Paul is saying, no, wait a minute. Whoever you claim to be, no matter who you are, you need a savior. No matter who I am, no matter who you are, no matter who is all in this room right now, we all need a savior. So whenever you see, uh, by the way, whenever you see the word uh, Jew or Jewish in, in our text or in our, our study of Romans, I want us to replace Christian, right? Because I think that that's the closest to who's the religious person. We, we, we hide under that label sometimes Christian, right? So just sub that word out for Christian. Sometimes we feel like we're just, we're just good enough because, well, I, I have good church attendance or I grew up in the faith or I have a good religious knowledge, a base of, of good Christian theology. Uh, you know, I just, these things can become a source of religious pride. They're not bad things, but they can well up into pride thinking that somehow we're a notch above somebody else and we're not. You know, as Christians, 
Statistically speaking, we do have a hypocritical problem. We like to fall into being a hypocrite. The Barna Group, one of the largest Christian research groups, found that Christians in general have a hypocrisy problem. Wish they didn't have to spend millions of dollars for that. Like we could all told them that, right? We, we know that we have an hypocrisy problem. But they found that Christians in general, this is just in general, people that claim to be Christian, they may not cuss in public uh, as much, but their private conversations they found in their study at times were no different than someone who doesn't believe. Uh, Christians might give slightly more in charity. They say maybe a percentage or two more, not much more, actually, than the general public, surprisingly. Uh, but And they might not gamble as much, but Christians may be more uh, just as likely uh, to be materialistic, to visit porn sites, to abuse prescription drugs, to gossip, to lose their temper, among other things. And it ought not to be this way. And I don't believe this is every Christian. I don't believe this is a, every follower of Christ, right? But the thing is, is that when we hide behind that, I just go to church, I'm a Christian, and your life doesn't change, the world sees that and it grieves God. So Paul says in verse two, now we know that God's judgment on those who do such things is based on the truth. So do you think any one of you who judges those who do such things yet do the same, that you will escape God's judgment? What Paul's not saying is that we should suspend all and any discernment or judgment on what is right or wrong. Or, and this isn't a prohibition to never call a brother or sister out who are, have fallen into sin or, or, or walking down a, a road of falsehood. Uh, we're told to hold other believers accountable in love and in grace and within relationship to build each other up. Being a hypocrite or judgmental in, in this sense is something that's not building somebody up, but trying to tear somebody down to make you look better so you can do the same thing. This is the height of being smug. This is the height of being judgmental. This is what pushes people away from Jesus. When we act like we have it all together, only to not have it all together so that we can continue not having it uh, all together in a sense of growing to be more like Christ because we'll never have it all together. So we need to avoid hiding behind labels and we need to remember that God is just. God's judgment is not like human judgment. And when God searches and judges our hearts, he, he looks for the purity of heart. He does it with full knowledge. And as verse two states, he, it's based solely on truth, his truth. Which means if his judgment is based on truth, that means his wrath that it's poured out against unbelief isn't harsh, it isn't cruel or unusual, it is just. It's out of an abundance of his heart of love to hold on to what is just. Sin, the wrath of God over sin, fits the crime of rebellion against his glory. So if we don't grasp the idea that his judgments are just, we will fail to realize how great a salvation he offers you and I through Jesus Christ when he died on the cross and when we receive him as savior. The depths of depravity illustrate how great a salvation Jesus offers to us. He is mighty to save. He's able to take all of our sins, no matter if they're small or really, really big, he's able to take them and forgive them. He is mighty to save. Now think about this. Think about the moment. Maybe there's a moment you almost fell and you felt like you're falling and hitting rock bottom, right? Uh, maybe it was substance abuse, maybe it was emotionally, maybe it was just relationally. Uh, maybe there's areas in your life that you sinned or you're totally embarrassed about. I mean, think about this. What if the most embarrassing or low point in your life flashed on this screen right now for everybody to watch, right? Would that be scary? <laughs> yeah, it'd be, it'd be really scary. But Jesus saw that all. He saw that all and he took it all. And you know what? We're rescued by his grace. Uh, the, the favor that he gives us, that undeserved favor of Jesus. 
And our natural response to this, when we understand the height and depth and width of his love, when we begin to even just begin to grasp that, is our life begins to walk in step and gratitude towards him. We want to be pleasing to him. We, we don't want to judge others with the aim to cover up our own sin. We want Jesus uh, to, we, we want to live in that forgiveness. We want to live in that grace so that we can show grace to other people. God judges what others can't see. In his judgment, God is just. Secondly, God is kind. Let's look at verse four. Or do you despise the riches of his kindness, his restraint and patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? God's character is that he is just, but he's also kind. And he's not just a little bit kind. What we see here in the scripture, he is vastly and deeply kind. Now, I wish I knew this when I was little. When I was little, I, I heard a sermon or two that made me think that God was just angry, right? He was looking for whenever I made a, a mistake. And so whenever there was a thunderstorm and in Iowa, we had good thunderstorms. I thought it was the divine judgment of God going after me of treating my brother the wrong way or my sister the wrong way or, or you know, not cleaning up my toys. And I thought every lightning bolt was coming for me. And apparently one time uh, there was a, a horrific storm coming through and I just yelled out the top of my lungs, okay, God, I I'm not hiding. You can just take me. And my mom's like, Andy, what did you say? And I explained to her in my, my little mind, well, God just angry with me. And they had to explain to me, no, no, no. God is also very kind. He doesn't come to strike us down uh, the minute that we make a mistake or we do something wrong. And, and we see this specifically in verse four. Our God is kind in that his judgment in our life is not immediate against the things that we do wrong. He has a very, very long fuse. In fact, that word restraint, look at that again in verse four, his kindness, his restraint, that word restraint can be translated forbearance. We often hear of the word forbearance when um, perhaps maybe you've owned a home and you got and you were behind in your payments. Um, and so when you're behind your payments, you are at risk of foreclosure. So forbearance may be a, a an agreement you have with the bank to where for a certain amount of time and you're not going to make payments or you're going to try to catch up on payments. It's a specific, special agreement you have so that you don't face the judgment of, in this case, foreclosure. Now, when we sin against God, and we all have, uh, we have gone into debt, a sin debt, that we are unable to pay back. No matter of good works, nothing can get us to close that gap of our sin debt between us who are imperfect and an almighty, perfect God. And so what we see here is that God, in his kindness, puts us in forbearance. In his justice, he could call the loan right now. He could say, you know what, I'm calling the loan. Uh, I'm going to provide no way for you to be able to get out of this predicament. But in his forbearance, he's giving us a pause so that we can repent, which means change your mind about who God is and go to him for the solution. And the solution is Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross to pay for our sin debt. So that forbearance is so that we can be led to what we see here, repentance. That word repentance means a change of mind that leads to a change of action. So before uh, repentance, we were walking one way. We're like, I don't need God, or I'm gonna do my own thing. But then in his forbearance, we realize whether it be from the word of God, whether it be somebody uh, keeping you accountable, whether it be the Holy Spirit, uh, through all those situations, your heart's convicted and you realize, I can't go this way any longer. I need to do a complete 180 and I need to walk back 
towards the things of God. That happens when we initially give our life to Christ, when he asks him to, to save you, when he place your faith and trust in him. And that continues through life as we continue to repent for the things that we've done wrong. We want to walk in a life of repentance, not so that we can get saved over and over again, because when you're saved, you're saved. But when you are, are walking uh, in a relationship with Jesus, we want to make sure we're walking in a life of repentance so that we're pleasing to him, that we're walking in alignment with his will for our life. Our God wants to lavish his grace on you. He is so kind. In fact, Psalm 103.8 says this. It says, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love. God is indeed kind beyond measure. But don't misapply his kindness to your advantage so that you can continue to sin. Thinking, well, you know, uh, you know, God's kind. He has a long fuse. I'm just going to do this for another month. Like, I'm just going to dive into this area of my life. I'm going to be angry or I'm going to I'm going to lust or I'm going to steal or I'm going to, you know, I, I'm going to be angry. I'm just because he's he won't he won't do anything for about another month. Right. And what what Paul's saying is don't assume. Don't assume, don't try to manipulate God. You cannot fool God with the intentions of, of what you're trying to do to get away with sin. When we take advantage of God's kindness to do whatever we want to do, uh, you know, the, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, right? Uh, you know, God is love, love is love, whatever. This shows contempt towards God and not honor towards God. As John Stott correctly states, he says, this is not faith, it's presumption. Paul's warning to us is don't despise the riches of his mercy and grace. His kindness is intended to give us space to repent, not space to continue in sin. God judges what others can't see. Uh, God, in his justice, he is just and he's kind. And it's important for his kindness to prime the pump in our lives to get right with him. And why? Because, and this is our third point, he's coming soon. Jesus is coming soon. Verse five, because of your hard and unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment is revealed. He will repay each one according to his works, eternal life to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, but wrath and anger to those who are self-seeking and disobey the truth while obeying unrighteousness. There will be affliction and distress for every human being who does evil, first to the Jew and also the Greek, but glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does what is good, first to the Jew and also to the Greek, for there is no favoritism with God. Let's notice verse five. Because of your hardened and unrepentant heart, it says, uh, Paul is speaking to the religious individuals who are quick again to point their fingers at the non-religious people, or maybe even religious people that have fallen into sin, and they're, 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 they are so excited to point out every infraction. But Paul's saying, are you not, who's doing the same thing, storing up for yourself, not treasures in heaven, but wrath from God that will eventually break the levy of God's patience? So we don't want to presume the patience of God, because eventually that levy will break. We need to, when we realize that we have sinned, we need not to persist in further sin. We need to repent. We need to ask God for forgiveness. And we need to thank him for his grace that, that we realize that we were in sin and that we can turn to him and, and follow him in this particular area of our life. But notice the end of verse five, the end of verse five, it says, when God's righteous judgment is revealed, he will repay each one according to his works. Now, Paul is asserting there is a future great judgment that is coming for every human being. 
This is not some judgment that's based on your family religion or if you grew up in church, you know, somehow you have osmosis because you sat next to someone that worshiped really, you know, loudly or knew their Bible, right? Uh, this isn't something that's based on what country you're in or what your ancestors believed. Uh, this is what we see right here, an individual judgment of a person's heart, an individual judgment for you, an individual judgment for me. We have the personal responsibility, which nobody else can do for you, for you to place your faith in Jesus and to walk humbly and faithfully in him. Now, this is important because we will arrive at this great judgment day, uh, whether we die and go and be before him, it's appointed once for a person to die and then they are before God, or Jesus Christ comes back. I don't know when Jesus will come back. He said that we would never know. We can know the sign of the times. If I were to be a, I'm not a betting man, but let's say I was a betting man, I would say, yeah, I would say he would probably come in our lifetime. So let's get ready. But you know, there's been people in previous generations have said the same thing. A thousand years is but a day to, to God, and so he's not delaying, we just, we just get impatient. But we're told in the Bible that there is a fixed day that no one knows when it will come, when God will judge the world. We will all stand before Christ. Now what's confusing in verse six, it appears that God is going to judge us by our works. But when you read the totality of the book of Romans, in fact, the book of Romans is actually a letter to the Christians in Rome, and they would have sat and read it in one sitting. They would have clearly understood, just as every theologian from this point forward understands, uh, that salvation is not by works, it's by God's grace that's received when we place our faith and trust in Jesus. We, we place our faith and trust in Christ alone, that he died on the cross, and his uh, death on the cross and forgiveness on the cross is authenticated that indeed he rose from the dead. So it's received by faith alone. It's not by our works. And we see this just even a chapter later. Paul states in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Uh, Romans 3.28, for we conclude that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. We have all broken a standard and we are in need of a savior. He continues in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What we can see clearly from Romans 6.23 is there is no way we can work off that debt. We need the forbearance of his kindness to lead us repentance to Jesus Christ and the cross. To, to, that we need this gift. It's freely given to us. We can't work for this gift. In fact, if you work for a gift, it's not a gift, right? It's a wage. We need his free gifts. How do we receive it? Romans 10.9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart resulting in righteousness and one confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation. So why does Paul in verse six then, if it's by, by grace received through faith, why does Paul state in verse six that we will be judged according to our works? Well, he's not in contradiction here, but rather uh, Paul is affirming that our justification is by faith alone, but our judgment will be according to works. This is what he means. If you're not justified by Jesus, and being justified means you're declared not guilty. When you place your faith and trust in Christ alone, you are declared not guilty of your sin. Your sins are wiped away clean. But when you don't place your faith and trust in Christ alone, when you try to work your way to Christ, when you think that the way to heaven is by you doing something, then you're trying to work your way. That's not salvation at all. In fact, when you arrive in the judgment seat, he will notice that you didn't place your full faith and trust in Christ. You placed your faith in trying to work your way to Christ. And listen, that doesn't work. There's no amount of work that can pay off a debt that's insurmountable. 
And so there's gonna be two judgment seats that people face. For those who are non-believers, those that never place their faith and trust in Jesus while they're on this earth, they'll face what's called the great white throne. In fact, in Revelation chapter 20, there's a vivid description of the great white throne. In fact, uh, John, uh, who saw this vision, who in the, the future vision of the great white throne, he says this, and I saw a great white throne in him, that's Jesus who was seated on it. The dead were judged according to what they had done as it recorded in their books. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, what we know from the book of Revelation is that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. If your name's not found in that book, you face the great white throne of judgment before Jesus. And he begins to to judge your life uh, by the works that you did in your life. And remember, no amount of work will work. It only works if you place your faith and trust in Christ alone. That's it. And for these individuals who either denied Christ or try to get to Christ in a way that was uh, by their own means, will not spend eternity with Jesus. They will spend eternity in a place called the lake of fire. Now, according to 2 Corinthians 5.10, every believer will appear before a judgment seat to judge uh, their obediences in life. This is very different than the great white throne, which either uh, separates you from heaven and hell. This one that actually just judges your obedience in life to where God will reward you for those obediences. So in 2 Corinthians 5.10, we see this. It says, every believer must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now, this isn't salvation that's being judged, but the quality of our obedience while we lived on earth, while we lived during our life, of which obedience will be rewarded with the praise of God. Every believer will be equally loved in heaven, but not necessarily equally rewarded because of the obedience we lived on earth. Our, our obedience matters. In fact, 1 Corinthians 4, 5 is very vivid here. It says, therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At the time, each will receive their praise from God. This is not the great white throne judgment seat. This is what's called the Bema seat. That, that word literally uh, harkens back to the Olympics when, when people will be rewarded for the job that they did. We will be rewarded for our obedience. What is that reward? What we see here specifically is praise from God. God. We don't have any other details on that, but it's very valuable, all right? Praise from God. So we'll be equally loved, but not necessarily equally praised for uh, how we lived our life as followers of Christ. So the bottom line is uh, our obedience, it matters. And so we need to live for what matters, what lasts, what God values, what God praises, what's in God's will. Which leads us back to this. Jesus is coming soon. He is. He could come today. He could come tomorrow. He could come at the end of 2020. I mean, in fact, would anybody be surprised at this point if Jesus came back in 2020? I mean, but listen, don't, I'm not being a doomsdayer here. I'm just saying we don't know when Christ is going to come back. You know, it may seem like he's delayed for a really long time. It's been over 2,000 years since uh, since Jesus was born and then he was and then he died and was uh, crucified, resurrected, and went back to heaven. So that seems like a delay. But you know what? A thousand years to us is but one day to God, the Bible says. And so we need to be ready. We need to be ready like more than ever. He says, you can know the signs of the times. Are you ready? Are you ready for the second coming of Christ? We don't know when it is. I don't know if it's in our lifetime, but let's prepare and live as if it's gonna happen tomorrow. So what would change if you knew it was gonna happen tomorrow? Well, first off, I want you to know this. 
Are you certain you have a relationship with Jesus? Are you ready to stand before God? Are you ready to stand before him and, and your name is in the Lamb's book of life? Are you ready uh, to, to stand before him and, and, and he gives you praise for living a faithful, obedient life to him? Are you certain that you are saved? Are you certain you are going to heaven? Are you certain you're gonna play, that you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus. Because we will all stand before him. And when we stand before him, we will not flood him with our opinions. We will not give him advice or, or how you know, we should have adapted more to culture or this or that. We will, we will not uh, uh, praise anything else other than that we will be bowing on our, on our knees and we will be giving him praise and knowing who he is. And the question is, will you know him? Because if you don't know him at this moment, it's too late. I am asking you, do you know if Jesus is your savior, do you know that you've placed your personal faith and trust in him alone? You can know that today. You can know that today. God judges what others can't see. God's judge is just, he's kind, he's coming soon. This is for everybody. Let's look back at verse 11. For there's no favoritism with God. This is a question I don't want you to just pass off. Do you know for certain you have a relationship with Jesus? So. Here are some takeaway questions. Number one, are you ready? Are you sure you are right with God? Are you ready? In fact, let's make sure right now. Ask yourself, am I right with God? Have I placed my faith and trust in Him alone? Or have I just been attending church? Have I been just attending church online? Have I just been kind of in Christian community? Or maybe you haven't been in the church world for a long time and you know that you have not made your relationship with Jesus personal. Today is your day. It does not matter what's in your past, what you bring to the present. He is mighty to save. Have you said, Jesus, I need you to save me. Lord Jesus, I need you to forgive me my sins. Because listen, God created you not in an, you are not an accident. You you are intentional. He created you to have a relationship with you, but your sin, it's insurmountable. We're in this forbearance because we can't pay it back, but Jesus has paid it all. Receive it. He died on the cross to save you from your sins. He rose from the dead. And our response now is to place our faith and trust in him alone. Will you do that right now? If you're uncertain and you know you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, will you do that right now? Say, yeah, I, I need to do that. Just pray with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I realize I've done wrong in my life. I realize I'm not a mistake. And I realize that you've come to do what I cannot do, and that is to be made right. Thank you for dying on the cross, saving me from my sins. Thank you for giving me this grace, this undeserved favor. Thank you that you rose from the dead. I place my full faith and trust in you alone right now. In Jesus' name, amen. For those of you across Kenosha today that, that, that prayed to God right now, listen, what had happened is the Bible says you have become born again. You have passed from death into life. That debt has been cleared. You, have been, you are a child of God. If today that's you, just let us know. Anonymously, you can, you can click that hand at the bottom of the screen if you're on church online, or you can let one of our hosts know. You can send us a message. We are praying for you. We believe believe that God has changed many lives across this city today. 
Now, for those of you that are followers of Christ, or even if you just gave your life to Christ, I have two more questions for you, and here they are. Number two is, where do you need to prepare for his second coming? Where in your life do you need to prepare for your second coming? Are you even thinking about his second coming? Are, are you spending time with God? Are, are you, uh, where's your prayer life at? Uh, where's the areas of your life you're letting, me, letting go a little bit lax, right? Number three is, where have you been hypocritical in your judgments? Meaning, well, where are you easy to point the finger at somebody, but it's going on in your life too? Where do you need to close that, that hypocritical gap? And, and this may mean that you need to apologize to somebody too. So how can you further prepare for his second coming? Don't make this a hypothetical question. D indeed, answer it, but start living it. Let me pray you out. Father, I pray uh, for everybody uh, that is with us this morning that we indeed would begin to prepare for your second coming because we are going to stand before you, uh, whether we pass and we go before you or whether you come to us uh, and you receive everybody into you uh, to be judged, God. Lord, we want to be ready. So God, make us ready. Make a church that is hungry after you now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Again, if you'd like more information on Emmanuel, check us out online at kenosha.church. Also, we'd love it if you connected with us on Facebook and Instagram, both at kenosha.church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe to us on iTunes at Emmanuel Kenosha. That way you never have to miss an episode and it helps us out greatly. At Emmanuel, we are not a perfect people, but a people being made new. Thanks for listening to this week's episode, and we'll see you next time on the Emmanuel Message Podcast.